0: Thanks for joining us for another inspiring message from Alive Church, Orange County. To find out more information about Alive Church, please visit AliveChurchOC.org. You can also follow us on your favorite social media platform by typing in Alive Church OC. Hallelujah. It's good to be here in the house, my home in Southern California. I think every time that I'm here, I'm asking, how's the real estate market? Because in the back of my mind, I'm like, I want to buy a place here at a second home. And so, because I just love it here and love your pastors, and as he stated, we've gone uh, a, a far way back with him, and so we are deeply appreciative of the relationship that we have with your pastors. Uh, they've helped us so many times. Uh, one of the things I said in first service is we believe in your pastor so much that, you know, we have many relationships inside our, of our denomination as well as outside of our denomination, many ministers. But even from our house, ourselves, we actually sew into them and Derek Dunn Ministries and their ministry because we believe in them so much. They've been a great inspiration to us personally. Every time I come here, I try to bring a team with me. I'm like, let's just we are always inspired by what you guys are doing here in Southern California. You guys are definitely breaking the typical Orange County plastic mold of what a church should operate like. <laughs> And I'm so happy for that. That means you haven't gone on automation, but you're still living in faith. Praise God. And so we're so thankful for your lives and the example that you have. And so if you're ever up in Santa Cruz, please look us up. We'll make ourselves available to you. We're so also thankful for your hospitality. Again, that's an inspiration. And we can see it's a manifestation of the fruit of honor that you have for us. And so we're deeply touched by your honor and your hospitality for those of you that are here. Amen. So give yourself a hand. Hallelujah. Praise God. Well, I want to get right into the word of God. Amen. Are you ready? All right. I want you to turn to the book of Matthew, chapter 16, verse 24 and 25. I've titled this message discipleship. It is the process of the kingdom. And so we have to understand the principle that Jesus brought forth. Uh, One of the things that I've come to realize, and even as a missionary graduating from Bible college, I thought I knew how to disciple, but I realized, actually, I don't know how to disciple. Uh, What I, you know, and, you know, I, of course, as as a builder, I think in the beginning of my ministry, I was a builder, but I wasn't a builder of a house. I was builders of stages. Stages. And so I know how to build a stage by which my gift can go into operation. But how many know discipleship isn't done on a stage, it's done in a house. And so it's one of the things that I learned when I come back to Santa Cruz. I realized, man, I, I knew how to build stages, knew how the gift go is, goes into operation. But I didn't know that part of discipleship is changing dirty diapers. And sometimes you don't feel the anointing on that thing, you're just living by faith. And that's why I said I was a stage builder, not a house builder. And because I learned all those things coming into Santa Cruz, that we are to be builders of the house of God. Building the house is so vitally important that Jesus literally laid down his life for that. We know, of course, Jesus laid his life down for the world, but he also laid his life down for the church. And so it's something oftentimes in our culture today we like to emphasize, well, I'm an apostle, and I'm a prophet, and I'm an evangelist, and I'm a teacher. And thank God for these revelations. But sometimes we camp about who we are, and we fail to realize there's an end result of you being that, and that's for you to lay down your life and die. Mm-hmm. And sometimes what happens, and this was my mentality, is I didn't know how to lay down my life for a house because I was too interested in building my stage. Oh, some of you will get that by next week. Come on, are you here? So I want us to look into this, discipleship, because I believe actually many pastors, obviously not within this house, actually don't know how to disciple people. They think it's about having a membership class and having a statement of faith and bringing people through that and us having theological as well as academic adherence to what we believe is a church, and now you're our disciple. But I find out it's actually much more than that. Part of the spiritual changing of diapers requires that we as pastors, number one, know that we ourselves are actually called to a place. Because when we're called to a place, we don't have to sit there and try to build our kingdom. It's God building his kingdom through us. And that also means that we know that people are actually called to us, whether they respond correctly or incorrectly. We don't have to control people because he's the one who's in control because he's the one who called us. And it eliminates all kinds of insecurity from an individual knowing that God is the one who's doing the building. It's not me. He says, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church that I'm building. That also means that if you're trying to build the church, the gates of hell will prevail against it because it's not Jesus building it. It's you building it. And sometimes it's not a house. It's just a stage. Come on. Oh, I better get back to my message right here. So I want us to look at this. And Jesus, this is in Matthew chapter 16, verse 24 and 25. Then Jesus said to his what? Disciples. Is it just to the crowds? No, he's speaking to his disciples. And he's going to unpack this concept of discipleship. Whoever wants to be my disciple. Turn to your neighbor and say, are you a disciple? And we're going to find out what Jesus defines as a Disciple. Because I believe in today's culture, we have a very narrow view of what discipleship is, and it is quite unbiblical. It's an American cultural concept, but it's not a a biblical concept. And it says this, he must, uh, uh, to be my disciple, you must. Notice it's a must, it's not a you can, if you would like. In other words, it is incumbent upon you to understand that this is actually a commandment. It's not an option, it's a commandment. You must do these things. So that means in our democratic culture, we understand this is a kingdom principle, not a democratic principle. And so you have to do what? Deny themselves. And notice this that's the first part of this divine equation within the process of the kingdom of God. So the first ones deny themselves. Number two, take up their cross. What is that? That's an instrument of your death. And in American culture, we don't like this death talk. Just tell me about the blessings. Just tell me about what I can get. Just tell me about ten keys to how I can get my best life, which is usually your soul life and not the spiritual life of God. So now watch this. He must deny himself, number one. Number two, take up the cross, which is the instrument of death. And then notice, then follow me. Now notice... We like to emphasize, come follow Jesus. This is why in our culture in America of easy believing, we just just say, come to Jesus and follow him. And we'll have altar calls in which they come to Jesus. And of course, come as you are. And I'm not suggesting you don't come as you are. How many know you are to come as you are? You cannot clean up yourself. But when you come to Jesus, we must also... Reveal to the people of God that there is this area of denying self as well as picking up that instrument of death in order to live his life, not your life. And oftentimes within the church, we just create a dichotomy between the life of the flesh and the life of the spirit, but actually, there's this soulish life that Jesus wants to deal with that is totally unspoken within the church. So we look and we say, well, you're not committing the sins of commission. You're not lying. You're not stealing. You're not bearing false witness. Uh, You're keeping your pants up and you're only sleeping with your wife or your husband. You're not committing adultery. So you must be a-okay. But it's not simply you just not living a carnal life. There is this area of our life called the soul life that Jesus wants to deal with. And this is the process in the kingdom of God. Where we must understand we each individually have a soul. Some of us have stronger souls than other people. Come on, you know what I'm talking about. In fact, I suggest that the stronger your soul life is, the bigger your cross will need to be. Are you you here? This is what I was telling even in first service. My job as a pastor isn't simply to get people free, I can do that from a stage. Part of the house is getting in and being able to explore and through counseling and through the wisdom of God to show people what area of your soul life is still alive. Because what you don't crucify, that's where the enemy can come back into your life. This is why people will go to deliverance seminar after 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 deliverance seminar. seminar, And they're always getting free because they never grapple with their own soul life and their ambitions of their own personal dreams that never came from heaven, but came from themselves. I'm preaching better than you're responding. So now watch this. You must deny yourself pick up your cross, then follow me. So there's a prerequisite before you follow him. You have to live a life of denial as well as carry an instrument of death. Now, when I say these things, this does not mean that God will speak words to you by which you have to sit there and die every single day. Come on, are you here? There are times, and I believe it's actually seasonal. In fact, when you enter into a new season, I am convinced... There'll be a new level of denial that is required of you by the Spirit of God. There'll be another cross, a heavier cross. If you are to go from faith to faith, from glory to glory, there'll be new levels of your soulful life that must be denied within your life by which you must carry a cross. And sometimes what happens is we want to revert to a past season where we have victory because we don't want to go into the new, uh, the new season because there are new requirements in our life. So now watch this. For whoever wants to what? Save their life. What is this word life? It's the word suke. It's where we get the word psychology, which is the study of the mind. So each and every one of us have a suke or a soul life. So Jesus is unpacking for us the process of being a disciple. So it's not just going through a membership class. It's not just adhering to a statement of faith. It's not just going through, quote unquote, a disciple. Listen, all these things can be done in the natural world. But it doesn't mean that you're actually going through a process by which kingdom is bringing transformation to your life. You see, in the church today, we like to automate things. And there's nothing wrong with that in order to streamline systems and things like that. The problem is, is we want to automate our faith life. Come on, are you here? We are living by faith. We start in faith. But all of a sudden, we like easy way of doing things. And so we even put our faith on automation. And I'm telling you, God is a great disruptor of your systems of discipline within your life. This is why oftentimes in the church, when we talk about discipleship, we just think, well, we're a learner and we must be disciplined people. Well, I know a lot of religious people that are very disciplined. In fact, they're more disciplined than I am. So it's not simply just being disciplined in natural life. And listen, your disciplines, no matter where you're at within life, will bring great success but it's not simply according to the biblical model of what being a disciple or being disciplined in the Christian faith. In the first service, I went through several of them. I'm not going through them. You can be disciplined. Armies of, uh, 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 let me say it this way, great military powers understand that wars are one to what? Discipline. We also understand great businesses are established due to hard work and what? Discipline. If you don't hustle and work hard and work smart, listen, you're not going to be competitive in the marketplace. But I'm going to show you, Jesus is not talking about simply living a disciplined life. Great civilizations have been grew, uh, built by men who are completely demonized. Just read about the embers. They employ strong disciplines within their life in order to build great civilizations. But they're still in hell. Great intellectual discipline in the world of academia can bring profit in your vocation of choice. Great physiques. Those of you who work out, how many know you got that because you lived a disciplined lifestyle. You go to the gym, you get your insurance pulse. I mean, your membership at the gym. That was a joke if you didn't get it. In first service, I got a gym membership at 24-hour Nautilus. This was a long time ago. And I finally ended up canceling it because I said, I don't need insurance. What did I mean by that? You know, you're supposed to get a gym membership to use it. But I just realized, in case I get inspired to go to the gym, I might as well have it. So I acted more as as an insurance policy rather than actually a membership. Come on. And all those not working out, say amen. Great wealth can be built through consistent and disciplined investment. I know I'm living in Orange County, but you have a lot of plastic here and a lot of silicone and a lot of things, but you're not on point sometimes because you got to keep up with the Joneses. Yeah. You want great wealth. Oh, God, give me great wealth, great wealth, but you're not living a disciplined life. Right. Yeah. But we know even through discipline, great wealth and budgeting and management, all these things can bring through what? Discipline. You see, what you can do is you cannot simply reduce discipline to simply having a good time management system within your life. Jesus is actually talking more, not about these things in this seen world, but he's talking about a process in the unseen realm. And this is what I want to show you. This is the reason why I want us to look, not what the church says discipline says, but what the Bible and specifically what Jesus said. And this is not a parable. And it's not just a statement of Jesus. It's from an actual engagement that Jesus had with his disciples. Now, let me show you something powerful. So what I did was I read to you from Matthew 16, 24 to 25. But the preceding verse provides the backdrop by which Jesus actually said this. So what we need to do to get correct hermeneutics is find out what Jesus actually communicated with his disciples by which he made this statement. Agree? So that's found actually in verse 21. So just go up four verses. And it says this in Matthew 16, 21, 23. From that time on, Jesus began to explain... Notice this, not to the crowds. He began to explain this to the disciples. That he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law. And that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Watch this. Verse 22. This is his right-hand man, if you will. This is his head usher. And I'm not implicating anything here. So in case you think I'm, I'm not trying to be prophetic. I'm just saying this is where he was at and his position within 12. It says, Peter took him aside. Watch this. And began to rebuke him. Never, Lord. Isn't that interesting? He calls him Lord. He rebukes him. Never, Lord. Obviously, if you rebuke him, he's not your Lord. He should have just, it should have said this. Jesus turned, excuse me, Peter took him aside and began to uh, 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 rebuke him. Never, Jesus is what he should have said. Not never, Lord. And then he said this. This shall never happen to you. Verse 23. Jesus turned and said to Peter. Watch this. Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God. But merely human concerns. I want you to now look. And this is the narrative that is established. Peter, up until this point, is not committing any sins of what we call commission. He's not lying. He's not stealing. He's not committing adultery. He's not bearing false witness. He has no other gods beside these. There is no violation of the ten laws by which the devil can get inside of his life, by which he needs to go through freedom in Christ again. This is simply a man who's saying, this is not going to happen to you and I want you to notice the assault that comes from Jesus because I don't know about you when I look at this I go wow this is a really really strong rebuke in fact in the book of Mark Mark's iteration of this or his testimony of this same event in chapter 8 verse 33 It says, but when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples. So Mark's account actually reveals that before he says, get behind me, Satan. It says that he actually looked at his disciples first. Now, I want you to think about this. So when Peter comes and begins to scold Jesus, begins to rebuke him. I'm never going to let this happen to you. Jesus calmly, first thing he does is look at his disciples. Why? Because he wants his disciples to see what he's about to do. Because he wants the fear of God inside of them in order to bring. This is a discipleship moment. This is a connect group moment right here. So he looks at the disciples and after he's done looking at them, sits there and begins to get behind me, Satan. You are an obstacle. And he begins to rebuke him. Now, the question arises, why is it that Peter would rise up and come against Jesus after saying that he's simply going to go to the cross? Did he not remember what John the Baptist said? That he's the Lamb of God that takes away the sin? Were you absent from that church service? Did you not go onto the Spotify playlist to hear John the Baptist and what he said in the prophecies that he gave forth? Hello, where were you at? He's the one in which the crowds came out in the wilderness. In fact, when Jesus arrives after already stating. There's one coming after me. I'm not even worthy to begin to bow down and untie his sandal straps. He's greater. Here is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He was present at those meetings. He knew exactly what the destiny was. What was the problem with Peter? He wanted to architect his own ministry and not fall in compliance to what God wanted him to architect. You say, Pastor, what do you mean by this? I could understand if this happened within the first six months of following Jesus. I could understand that maybe this was pre-deliverance. Peter, he's got his own ambitions and his own ways. But this is actually nearing the end of three years internship with Jesus. In other words, he's coming to the end of Bible college. He's about to walk up on stage. And turn the tassel to the other side and receive his certificate of completion. I've arrived. I know how to preach. I've literally already done that. Cast out devils. I know what it is to step on a stage. What was his problem? He was trying to architect his own ambitions. In America, we call it pursuing your American dream. And listen, not only culture, but even the church will reinforce that idea to pursue your own dreams. You better be careful. Pursuing your own dreams will get you in hell. So what was the dream of Peter? I'll tell you what was in his mind. It was a pretext to get to a physical throne. Jesus was one who is called the Messiah, the son of David. So in their mind, everyone was awaiting the Messiah to do what? To do what David did, which is kick out all the Philistines, kick out all the ites that were occupied, and establishing a political throne. So the whole time, while Jesus already knows he's to go to the cross, so Peter should have known that, every time Jesus moved out in the Spirit... You tell them that when demons come out, when you heal the sick, when you move in the supernatural, when you operate in the unseen realm, you tell them the kingdom has come upon. How many times does Jesus have to say that in order for you to get it? But yet Peter has his own ideas. He may have went to his mom. Mom, can you see if you can get us to the right? And this is why you even have mama's. Hey, can one be at the right hand and the other one at the left hand? In their mind, it was a, wasn't about the kingdom of God. It was about a political kingdom. Yeah. Wow. This is why he's like, I'll never let this happen. Why? Because he's got his own ministry agenda. Yeah. Yeah. And again, I want to emphasize, this is coming near to the end of Jesus' uh, of Jesus's life. In other words, Peter has been following for literally three years and still doesn't get it. That's why I believe this must be applied. And listen, this isn't going to happen every day. It's not like God's going to speak to you word and you're like, oh my gosh, I got to deny myself and carry a cross by which you live a life in which you look like you're second on lemons every day. But I do believe it's seasonal. There are seasons that you will walk into in which you will have to apply the process. You must deny yourself, you must pick up your cross. I know it's Sunday morning. You don't want to hear about this denial stuff. Just tell me about the blessing, pastor. Just tell me the 10 steps of how I can get my own. Three keys to my success. Peter probably went to those meetings too on his side at a different place with a different rabbi. I'm visualizing right now me sitting in Rome right now, right next to Jesus. I'm following the principles and I'm confessing I'm going to sit on the throne. And oftentimes, sometimes we're praying prayers out of our soul life that is unsurrendered to the spirit of God. My job as a pastor post deliverance isn't so much to get people out of their carnality. People are clean that way. It's getting them to explore What areas of your life are unsurrendered to the Spirit of God? It's not necessarily sins of commission. Those are the obvious things. The works of the flesh are obvious. We're talking about soul life. No sins of commission with Peter whatsoever. But he had this idea. They even argued about it. Who's going to be greatest in the kingdom? Jesus is talking eschatological end, but they're sitting there thinking political right now. So they're on two different levels. And again, he's a Bible school graduate just about. This is why when it comes to disowning Jesus, it came so quickly. Why? Because he was unsurrendered. Come on, are you here? Now this word right here, are you getting something out of this? This very first word in this discipleship process of the kingdom, to deny also means literally to disown. Not just I I deny, but it's always kind of nagging and you're thinking about it. And, oh, Jesus, could I have it and have plan B's and all these things? No. Are you willing to literally disown that dream? Again, and I want to emphasize in a culture that says get your own. Don't let anybody ever tell you you can't have your own. I love MMA. I remember you'll see these, you know, champions that come in different sports. They'll tell you, don't ever let anybody tell you you can't do it. I had people tell me that I couldn't do it. But I proved them wrong. Go pursue your dream. And I sit there and think, you're such a fool. You allow people and what they think about you to literally direct your cause and your direction within life. Wow. So, so you basically went through all these things to prove somebody wrong. That means somebody has control over you. That's right. You're enslaved through your insecurities and in your fear, to have to prove yourself to somebody you don't even know, probably. And it's reinforced in culture and society. Pursue your dream, the American dream. I don't know, it depends what dreams. This is a dream that comes in heaven. We know it's the language of the Holy Spirit, but we have our own dreams. Peter had his own dream. He had a dream of sitting at the right hand of Jesus on a political throne. When clearly he should have known better. That's not what this is all about. In Matthew chapter 26, 34. Truly I tell you, Jesus answered. This very night before the rooster crows. You will disown me three times. That word to deny also means to disown. Not cater to it. Not create a garden around it. But to do what? To disown it. Just like... Peter, disown. I don't know that man. In fact, one of the gospels says he wore it with an oath. See, cur- I don't know that man. But do you apply that same principle of disownership towards your own so- suke life? I had this happen to me when I was, first came to Christ. And I knew that there was a call upon my life. Many don't know that I actually wanted to be a professional triathlete. I had times that I would look at the times of what races were and who the the best there was Dave Scott and Mark Allen and Scott Tinley and different leaders and they were ones that were winning triathlete, uh, triathletes and winning triathlons in my times I could run a sub 15 minute 5k I ran a 430 mile so looking at my times I thought I could do this and it was I, listen I was addicted to it and for those who come from a sports background, you get endorphins, and you love, I love that world. And listen, I I sat there and had dreams. Ironman, world champion, running across the line, and woo! I wanted Outdoor World Magazine to vote me America's most fittest man, because one triathlete got that thing. And visual, I'd visualize, okay, I believe I can do this thing. But then God. God wrecked my dream. He wrecked it. And listen, I had times that I could compete in that world. But when God said, hey, I got a job for you. Will you be a preacher? Yeah, but you, what about my dream? Didn't you see me? Don't you see my times? Couldn't I serve you better in this world? I could be a witness to all these triathletes. And we want to sit there and spiritualize our soulical life. And pray prayers out of our soulical life. Because we want to do what we want to do. So it brought me to a place where I had to make a decision. Do I forsake my American dream? That the world reinforces. Pursue your dreams. That's why I say your dreams could bring you to hell. Because at the end of the day, it's obeying God. And what he tells you to do, no matter what the cost. Are you willing to deny yourself and pick up a cross, which is what? It's an instrument of your death. Jesus, just, you know, pastor, just tell me about the life of God. I want the life of God. I want the anointing of God. Well, die. Everybody wants resurrection power without dying. As if Jesus just rose from being alive. No, he had to die. And he set the precedent for us. But the American church says, tell me about resurrection life. Tell me about resurrection power. Die. Maybe some of you in this room, you are having your triathlon moment in yourself. And the Holy Ghost is convicting you. And you've been praying, God, give me success in my triathlon pursuits. Just bless my soulical life and my disobedience. Bless my life of not denying and disowning my own life. Are you here? Do I need to... Some of you. But what ended up happening? Once I surrendered, God, it's your will, not my will. How many know you always want to look back? You want to create plan Bs, a just in case moment. What if it doesn't work out? I always got something to fall back to. We're not like blind Bartimaeus, right? Who threw his jacket, which was his security, by which he would get provision. Once he threw it, he can't get to it. He's in the crowd. He can't see. He's like, well, I'll try plan B again. I'll take it with me to Jesus, just in case. This was, I'm following him, and I'm throwing away my solical life. And I'm going forward because there's only a plan A in him. If you have a plan B, it's because you got a denial issue. You don't know how to deny yourself. You have a cross issue. You have an aversion to the cross. Probably because you've been baptized in nothing but bless my soulful life rather than pick up your cross. But yet you want anointing. Let me, can I give you a key? Can I give you a secret? Some anointings don't come through laying on of hands. It comes through your decision to deny yourself and disown your life. Just get slap on and Just take care of my problem. But don't want to go through the process in which you don't feel no anointing whatsoever. I didn't feel an anointing to give away my bike. I was like, (laughs) God told me to. I mean, I could have at least sold it to pay for tuition to get to Bible college. And he didn't let me do that. Like, wait a minute, it cost me, you know, this is back in the 90s, $2,000 isn't a lot of money, but it was a lot for a a bike back in the late 80s, early 90s. And again, I'm working a minimum wage job, going to school, riding the bike, and he's gone to give it away. Well, can I at least sell it for tuition to go to Bible college? No, give it away. And I think the reason why he told me to give it away is because if I got $2,000, like I said, I'm helping you out, God, in my new place that you're giving me. So he says, no, give it away. So I ended up giving that away. And the whole time, but yes, I would feel the grace and the anointing of God come upon me in those seasons. That when I lay my head down at night, I knew I was right with God. Why? Because I denied myself. I disowned it, even disowning the things that I had. He'd ask me subtle questions. Does it seem appropriate for you to have a bike when you know that you're not going to be using it anymore? No. Why don't you give it away? Okay, I'll give it away. Surrendering. Those things that had attachments to my soul life. Come on, are you here? Yes. Disowning it by which I can't go back to it. Just like blind Bartimaeus disowned that cloak, he can't go back to it. Are you here? In Luke chapter 17, verse 32 to verse 33, listen to me very carefully. Jesus, again, this isn't just in a silo, Jesus says this one time. He says it again, this principle of the process of the kingdom. Now, I'm going to read this again. It says, remember Lot's wife. Watch this, verse 33, and he emphasizes this point again. This is his discipleship process of the kingdom. Whoever tries to keep their life will what? Lose it. That life is what? Suke life. Not spiritual life, your suke life. Your American dream that is unsurrendered. Now, watch this. And whoever loses their life, their Suke, their American dream, their triathlon, whatever it may be for you, that God is calling for you to surrender. Whoever loses their life will what? Preserve it. You know what's interesting about this when you actually go back? So Jesus is the one who sets how this hermeneutically should be interpreted. He's the one who interprets Genesis chapter 19. He brings it and he vets it into the New Testament so that we know it has to do with your soul life. When you actually read in Genesis 19, 17, it says, as soon as they, that's the angels, had brought them out, one of them said, flee for your lives. Don't look back. That was the command. And don't stop anywhere in the plain. Flee to the mountains or you will be swept away. I want you to take into consideration, up until the point, before she actually looks back and turns into a pillar of salt, I want you to note that Lot and his family, including Lot's wife, actually received supernatural deliverance. They went through the Freedom in Christ seminar. Woo! I got free. I was in Sodom and Gomorrah. Woo! Woo! But the power of the angels. I was quickened by the power of the Holy Spirit. And he set me free from destruction. Woo! What is he doing? In other words, they received deliverance. In other words, delivered from what? Carnal lifestyle. A life of destruction. And yet, once they're brought out from deliverance. What's the next step? Your soul life that Jesus deals with. This is why, as a pastor, everybody wants deliverance. Deliverance. Yeah. How come I don't have spirit life? I went through deliverance. I'm not committing the sins of commission. Yeah. Well, it's your soul life. Right. What is the Holy Spirit? And this is my job as a pastor, as well as pastors that are here, to investigate, to ask questions. And by the Spirit of God, I go, well, what about this area? <laughs> but I don't We know the enemy has access through your carnal life, open doors by which. The biggest problem in the church, and this is the reason why people always need deliverance, they got deliverance right here, is because their unbridled denial of their soul life. Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. Again, Peter wasn't committing violations of the commandments of God. It was his soul life. And he came under the influence because he had an unsurrendered soul. And failed to apply the cross, the instrument of death, to that area of his life. Come to the place where I say, you know what? No, I'm not going to sit on a political throne. Even those what's what my ambitions are. Those, those could be the sermons, how you can get to sit on your throne. Even in the church, we know this, that the way you architect churches and different things like that. A lot of it sometimes is principles based, but it's not kingdom based. What God has one person to do, I sit there and I go through all the church growth. Oh, yeah, those is a great idea. And then when you run it by the Holy Ghost, he says, no. Don't just apply that principle because you got a different animal in Santa Cruz that you have to grapple with. And this is the requirement for you. Wait, shouldn't I move according to this template that I see? No, obey me in this area. Many of you don't know that when I was in Southeast Asia, that was my stomping grounds before coming to Santa Cruz. And I've never given this testimony except for the first service. I want to give you this testimony. You know, your pastors were so gracious to Pastor Wendy and I. We were in Southeast Asia, and we had open doors all over. And this is during the 90s in which the move of God was so powerful in Southeast Asia. And that's where my stomping grounds were, and this is where God trained me. And God had to put us in places called East Malaysia because, well, He knew it was me. It's true. <laughs> we can. He can make mistakes over in this place, and we can kind of contain it and things like that. Because He makes like He loves me, but He makes big mistakes. One of the things you're graceful pastor didn't say was we would move in ministry together i would usually go first because we could both break it open but i was the guy who i created a lot of collateral damage and pastor would have to come behind me and pray for healing for all the people because i would detonate boom but there's a lot of collateral damage come on are you here I jokingly say that, but to a degree it was true. Like, there's Saddam Hussein, so let's nuke the whole village. Oh, lots of devils came out. Yeah, but the whole village is dead. That's why I jokingly say God had to put me in that space right there so that I could learn because he knew my heart. So, But we were at a place in which we didn't have any covering. I don't want to get into that whole thing, but we were really contemplating Singapore. This is a place where we would go and we would get refreshed. It was spiritual DNA was very similar, heartbeat. I mean, we just felt like, man, we want a home. I didn't want to go back to Santa Cruz because Santa Cruz was my Egypt, just like Moses got out of Egypt. So I certainly didn't want to go back to my Egypt. So I loved ministering in Southeast Asia. So we ended up coming, and your pastors literally brought us into their home. And this was during Christmas time. I still remember because Ethan, I bought a bunch of toys, if you remember, in Kuala Lumpur. Never buy toys in Kuala Lumpur. <laughs> bought batteries, put them in there, flew there, gave them all these toys, and we thought we were wonderful, and none of them worked. Ah, <laughs> uh, this doesn't work. He was just a little kid right there. <laughs> this one doesn't work either. <laughs> this one doesn't. <laughs> okay. Well. But we were there. And of course, your pastors were so gracious, we stayed with them and helped us get a flat there. My wife was trained as a dietitian. We were actually looking to see what it could do as far as we wanted to be in the marketplace, of course. And, you know, her being a dietitian, what can we do as Americans to come and to base? At the time, I think the church was almost 30,000, churches all over. And it made logical sense to be there in that house. They were third-line pastors, I believe, at the time. And so I'm thinking, yeah, this is wonderful. And listen, when you're going from from Nepal up in rural villages down to, you know, to to the jungles and you walk into City Harvest Church, remember VIP walking through all the peasant class. (laughs) I say that jokingly. I didn't really have that heart, but I thought, I like this VIP service. You know, There you go, Mr. Burbat. Oh, I like this. Thank you so much. Oh, I enjoy this. After services, I could remember. After, do you know who you are sitting with? No, who is it? That's the Brad Pitt of Taiwan. Did you know who he is? No, I don't watch Taiwanese. I don't speak Chinese. I don't know who he is. I watch Brad Pitt in Hollywood movies. I didn't know who it was. Did you know who it was? That's a billionaire over there. This person and that person. I'm like, ooh, I like this. I'm sensing the anointing here. Mm. It's really, of course, we got things that are going on and just loving it, and I'm really feeling it. I think we were there almost three months enjoying this life. And we end up getting a call. It was from a pastor in Santa Cruz that when I used to go back there, I'd go and minister for him. It was probably about half the size of a connect group they called it a church but it was a connect group in an old building this is as old as me back in 1969 is when it was built with mostly old people in it so on skype this is back in the times of skype there was a voicemail and i listened to it hey robert hope everything's going well just give me a call when you have an opportunity and as soon, and my wife was standing right there, as soon as I heard that Skype voicemail, I turned to her, and I said, he's going to want us to give, give us the church. And she goes, nah! Sure enough, I end up calling him up because he never left in the voicemail the reason why he was doing it. So he says, listen, I know you're over there in Southeast Asia, and that's where your heart is, and you love it. But why don't you consider praying to take over the church that's here? And of course me loving my soul life, of me serving Jesus over in Singapore in VIP service, sitting next to Brad Pitt and the billionaire, <laughs> said the spiritual thing, oh, sure, I'll pray about it, which is not a chance. Why would I do that? So I end up hanging up the phone, and what did he say? Sure enough, yeah, he wants us to take into consideration. And we dismiss that. Like, <laughs> Can you believe he wants us to go there? I don't know. Why would I do that? That's my Egypt. Lord, don't you know I'm much more productive over here. I'm hooked up. I got more open doors. I'm preaching in Bible colleges that are ten times the size of that connect group that he has he's offering to me. Why would I do that? So, But I was feeling unsettled during this time. Is it not true? We were unsettled. Just didn't feel right. So I still remember the room that I was in in the flat. As I'm sitting there praying the Holy Spirit comes upon me and makes this statement to me. Are you willing? He asked me. He didn't say, you have to. He asked me, are you willing to go to the cross? Many of you may not know, Santa Cruz means holy cross. At the moment in which he said that, I knew exactly what he meant. I'd like to say that I responded, yes, Lord. (laughs) But I was like, get thee behind me, Satan. But really because I want to clear conscience with the Holy Ghost. That was just a moment. I began to weep and I began to cry. Because in my mind, I'm thinking, God, why would you do that? That doesn't make sense. I don't want to go back to Santa Cruz. There's nothing going on there. Those are weird people. We even have bumper cigarettes that keep Santa Cruz weird. And they live up to the fulfillment of that word. That's why I tell our church, we're just doing our part to keep Santa Cruz weird. We're making the church great again. So I was weeping and I was crying because I knew what that meant. So I communicated to the Lord. I said, Lord, I'm willing to go as I'm weeping and crying in intercession. I felt the Holy Ghost. When I made that decision and the Holy Ghost broke upon me, the anointing I sensed of God. This is why I say this. Some anointings only come once you make a decision to dismiss your ideas. I could have sat there and said, God, why would you want to do that? Don't you know I'm more productive? Lord, you're really screwing up my ministry to you. That's the problem. It's your ministry. It's not my ministry. And we can even sit there and architect our own ministry like the Apostle Peter tried to architect his own ministry. Come on, are you here? I can sense the gravity of what I'm saying because a lot of times, listen, no one will ever know what you're called to surrender and to deny. The flesh life is obvious. The soulical life isn't so obvious. We can spiritualize our soul life and be completely living in disobedience. This is why I said during first service, this is why I respect your leaders so much. Because they're not just skilled, they're not just gifted, they're just anointed, but they're surrendered people. There are lots of preachers that are anointed, but it doesn't mean they're surrendered. So I asked the Spirit of God, I said, Lord, I'm willing to go, but you better talk to my wife. Because I don't want to be dragging her around and being reserved. No! You miss God! And all of a sudden getting in strife and everything like that. And I kid you not, it was probably within two days. Am I correct? Two to three days. She comes into the room crying. (laughs) And I am not exaggerating. True. She's crying. (laughs) I thought something happened to her, like she fell. And this is what she said. (laughs) God wants us to go to Santa Cruz, and I don't want to (laughs) go. I'm not you know my wife, she's very spunky, and that's what she was, <laughs> and in fact, the Lord said, you need to tell him, you need to tell him, you need to tell him, and soon as she came in, she said that, I said, I know, that's what the Spirit of God spoke to me a couple of days ago, and of course, they were like, how come you didn't tell me, I was like, well, because if I would have made you do it, you would not have heard from God, and we would have been going in strife over to the place where we we're supposed to go. So we ended up going there to the cross. That was my cross. Why? Because I was trying to architect my own ministry of the way it should be done, rather than surrendering it. God, don't you know I can win many more thousands. This is where the flow of your spirit, this is where it's going. And he wants me to go to keep Santa Cruz weird again. They don't even know how to vote right over there. They're weird. So I always jokingly say, my poor church, oh my goodness, my poor church. Because God was doing a work inside of me more so than what he was doing through me. I was Jonah. I'm going, but only because you told me so. And you know that scripture where Jesus talks about, he says, talks about the son. And one says, yes, I'll go and do it and doesn't do it. And then the other one's like, no, I'm not going to do it. But then later on he feels bad. Okay, I'll go do it. Then he says, who was justified? Of course, it was the latter one. He said, I'm not going to do it. Okay, that's me. No, I don't want to go to All right, I'll go. We ended up going over there, and I was like Jonah. I'm obeying God, but I don't like those Ninevites. God had to do a work inside of me, denying self of how I was trying to architect ministry and what I thought and visions of what I want to do to serve you, God. Just like Peter, no, 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 I want to sit at your right hand. I want to make things happen for you, Jesus. And he was using Jesus as a pretext to get his own ambitions out in the world, his own talent, his own anointing. Instead of recognizing, no, the life of the spirit, of discipleship, the process of the kingdom is in a new season. This is why I say for every season I have found personally I personally have found that there would be a new denial that comes your way. A cross that you have to pick up. Literally just this last year, the Holy Ghost challenged me again. You know, as pastors coming out of COVID, these have been certain challenges that we have. And for some churches, they, you know, losing numbers. And how do you do ministry and going online and all these things? I, myself, I need a building. We've been going, need a building, going to services and thinking lord i need to go into three services how i'm going to do that we got a connect group that's out in santa clara that's you know 30 going on 40 people that are there we should you know and we don't have enough subleads in order to multiply it and oh god we need a building and of course i'm bringing up you know all the scriptures that about the building come on for the last decade you've been telling me you've been giving me a building and it seems like some of these prophecies have you know expiration dates on it come on god you need to do this and make this thing happen Don't you know? And then I hear a word comes from heaven and says, you've neglected your neighbors to the south, Mexico. But God, what about my building? I need a building. I'm growing this ministry for you, you know. How are we going to do three services? How are we going to do this? I'm more concerned with this right here. Well, God, we're coming out of COVID. We got to rebuild and do things. You've neglected your neighbors to the south began to move upon me like, okay, how are we going to organize and how are we going to do this? Because I had my agenda of how we think the church is going to grow. But God says, no, I want you to go there. And so we had to reset things and do certain things. And how did that come to me? When that word came to me, I felt like he indicted me like it was my fault we neglected our neighbors to the south. So I began to research and look and go into Mexico. I just began to weep in intercession Pastor Susie calls adopting a nation, like God wanted me to adopt that nation. And I was like, that's what it felt like. But like, God, what about the church? No, I'm concerned about this right now. Well, but, but, come on, God. Get on my page of what I want to do in ministry for you, Jesus. Come on, I want to sit on a throne here. Begin to weep, begin to cry, begin to research. My heart began to break because oftentimes we do token ministries that are down there and it's not to despise the things that happen there but i realize here in america we're so blessed we've had great awakenings and moves of god throughout this nation even pentecostals and that spilled over into south america there's been many moves of god into revival argentine revivals of the 40s and the 50s in brazil i was talking to your pastor you can sense that I was so heartened coming out of COVID. I remember Pastor Wendy scrolling through. and We need to reengage the nations. I'm like, praise the Lord. I'm not the only one who's feeling this thing. When everyone's trying to buckle down and redo certain things. But I was so heartened by that. But even his nation of Brazil, half the second largest people group denomination is Pentecostals. And half the Pentecostals are Assemblies of God, one denomination. My point is, is there's been moves of God all through South America. As I began to research, I realize our neighbors to the South, there's been no moves of God. That's been substantive. Yet we've invested in all kinds of ideas of humanitarian. And I'm not trying to despise those things, but I mean a move of God by which the power of God is establishing houses all across that nation. Weeping. God. So I'm in the midst of it right now, coming out of COVID, new season have to trust and I have to obey. What he's telling us to do. And architect accordingly. You know, sometimes we can do certain things to architect and discipline. But it's actually out of our soul life, not out of his life. So I'm like scrambling. Okay, this is what God's saying. Are you sure, Pastor? Don't we need... No, this is what God said. And you have to architect your life over the word of God that's spoken to your life. Amen. I sense the presence of God. I sense the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And let me say this. This is very, very important for you to understand this. You say, Pastor, does this, never, does this ever end? No, it doesn't. That's the thing. It never ends. You say, can you prove that? Thank you for asking. <laughs> yes, I can. Jesus himself in the Garden of Gethsemane. What was it? He said, my soul, my suke, is sorrowful unto death. And he begins to pray. And what you all know is an olive press. That's where the anointing comes from, the crushing, from the denial, the disowning, the killing, the destroying of your own ambitions and your own desires. And I want to emphasize, we can spiritualize those things and no one even ever know it. Jesus is crying out he says Lord not my will Jesus himself the Messiah the perfect discipler coming up to 30 years old had to grapple and he showed the way by being able to overcome even his own solical ambitions in fact he even said put away your sword do you not know I out of my soul life out of the anointing of God can initiate my own ministry and have angels bring me from an escape from this cross he knew he could exercise his own will and get out of the cross and implore angelic assistance from heavens you know if I would have stayed in Singapore I'd still be casting out devils still be healing the sick but I'd still only be a stage builder rather than a church builder. Come on, are you here? Spirit of God convicted me. Every stage of life, there's a point of denial, of losing. I never even got into the Greek or the Hebrew. To lose your life literally means, because we think of losing, hey, where we? it's because we're looking to find it. But in the biblical narrative, for you to lose your life literally means to destroy your life, literally to kill your life and to deny it. This is why the gospel is for those who make strong decisions. It's not for the faint of heart. This is why Jesus talked about counting the cost. And the problem is we're only given the equation of follow me, follow Jesus. He's got a wonderful life for you. It's baloney. There's the denial and the picking up a cross by which you come into that. And oftentimes we silence the first part of that equation and only emphasize the latter part of that. And then we wonder why we don't have what happens in the early church. because we don't follow their same equation. Come on, are you here? And listen, we can come here and do it and receive anointings and be open and do all those things. But you know whether there are areas that are triathlons in your life. Or Santa Cruz, Singaporean moments within your life. Or the Spirit of God interrupts your ministry to say, hey, you've neglected your neighbors to the south and I'm concerned. Are you willing to re-architect your life that you had so nicely in position and on automation? We're really good in America at putting things on automation that we even do it with our faith. But we are to be a people of faith always stepping out of the boat in a new season and sometimes we think well i'm over that it never happens again jesus is the one that we look to and even he himself had to grapple not my will but your will be done and what ends up happening an angel from heaven arrives and strengthens why because of the decision he made this is why i say some anointings come upon you angelic assistance comes when you make a decision even in the first service, I could tell people have made decisions. Fire of God comes. Because fire comes upon sacrifices that are dead.